0: All right, good morning, starting to finally feel like summer out there, at least it did yesterday, I think yesterday was probably the hottest day we had this year, all right if everyone would come on in, we'll uh, have a prayer and we'll get started with class, let's go to God in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this day, we thank you for many blessings you give us, and we thank you for the freedom and the opportunity we have to come and to worship you, to study your word, and to to learn more about you, Lord. I just ask that you allow us to take what we learn here today and and take it out into the world and apply it and use it to bring others to you, Lord. I ask that you be with us as we cover the topics that we're going to cover the next couple weeks and help us to really pay attention and, and look at what the word, what your word says. And use it to, to apply to our lives for a lot of the current situations we have going on with the virus with you know some ra- the racial tension and, and different things, and just allow us to use it to, to bring the church closer to you and the church closer to each other. and it's in Christ, and we pray. Amen. All right, so as I said last week, we are going to uh, be looking at a series. I, I think it's going to be two, it may be three weeks. Uh, Still kind of working on how next week and and maybe the the next couple weeks are going to go. But it's called Neighbor, and it's called Neighbor for a reason. And it has to do a lot of with a lot of the tensions that we're seeing going on right now in not only the United States, but the the world as a whole. And, And I think it's important for us as a church to address things like this and to talk about them because if we just ignore it and pretend like it's not there or don't have serious conversation around it, then I don't think we, we improve or, or we make anything better. So I'm going to start this off for you all who were here. Uh, I did the Day in the Life series. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a Day in the Life, and, and most of you all who were in here know I did a Day in the Life of myself as being a preacher's kid. I'm going to do a quick review of a Day in the Life of me just being a kid and growing up, and my personal experience around race and, and things like this. So, you, those of you who don't know, I was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma. When we were two, we moved to Augusta, Georgia. Well, I'm sorry, yes, when I was two. <laughs> Not all of us were two. When I was two, <clears throat> we moved to Augusta, Georgia. And the neighborhood we moved into, because, you know, we know preachers make a ton of money, but Dad was humble, so we... uh Moved into a poor neighborhood anyways. But no, I mean, dad's just starting out. He's starting a new church in Augusta. So the neighborhood we move into was not a good neighborhood. And in fact, now it's a really, really bad neighborhood. Uh, Me and Helen went and visited it this past year. I just drove through there, and it's definitely, you know, definitely gone downhill. But there was, in that neighborhood was probably, I want to say, maybe four, three or four white families. Uh, There were some um, Korean, Asian families, but the majority of the neighborhood was was black, and it was a neighborhood that was probably the road, of, I think it was about a mile and a half long, and so it had several, several houses on it. One of the things I remember about growing up in this neighborhood, and it, and it changed the way I viewed a lot of things growing up, was that, especially once I got into second and third grade, I got picked on and bullied a lot for being white, and that had an impact on how I saw things going forward because, you know, and I, I think about it and I go back, Nathan's class picture from when he was, he was there, I believe he was the only, was he the only white kid in the class? One more, so two. So it's, you know, and so it was interesting to go back and, and have a perspective on it. But one of the things I remember about is we used to walk to school, and it was about a mile, mile and a half walk to, to the school. And one of the things I remembered is, is we would be, picked on and bullied for being white because you know we were the minority in in this situation and I remember one things that we especially once I got into third grade one of the things I had to do almost on a daily basis was I had to outrun and hide from a kid that was in a a much older class than I was because he would chase us down and try to beat us up and so that happened on a daily basis I remember we used to have to hide underneath the portable trailers if y'all ever had to went to school when they had the portable trailers behind the school. We'd actually get him hide underneath those until class started just to avoid, you know try get him beat up. And that continued on until luckily my uh, our friend across the street, who was a little bit older but I think his name was Jeremy. He took karate classes, and one day he stood up for us and he would walk with us, and so that kind of stopped. But that that was kind of my experience growing up in that neighborhood. Now when, when I was in third grade, toward the end of third grade, Dad got a, a pos- opportunity to move to Kansas, and so we moved to Kansas. Well, this is a stark difference—the little town of Garnett, Kansas, with three thousand people—a stark difference between that town and Augusta, Georgia. It the town literally had three thousand people in it; it probably still does to this day. <clears throat> I looked up the uh, current um, ethnic ethnic statuses around that, and it is 0.4% percent African American. I don't know how they work that out, but not even one percent. And when we were there, we had one black family in the entire school system and in the entire town, I think, if I remember correctly. And so my experience there from third grade through ninth grade was a lot different. You know, I, I was around all white people. You know, I didn't have anyone judging me for who, it may or what I looked like or, or the, the color of my skin, but for the most part, I was picked on just because I was a nerd and, and, and a dirt. But it was a normal high school experience, and so I kind of remember that, you know, as a kid, you know, you're, you're, learned, you're taught not to be racist, you're, you're taught to, to judge people, you know, by their character and those type of things, but then you also have your experiences in life, and, and my experiences up to that point had taught me that, well, for the most part, white people were nice to me, but the black people I ran into in my neighborhood, they weren't nice to me, and they weren't nice to me because I'm white, and so you started to develop some prejudices and some, some things around that, so... Ninth, between my ninth and tenth grade year, we moved uh, to Nitro. The oil, uh, the oil economy collapsed and they had to close down the, or the people who were f- helping funding the church had to stop funding the church and, and so that, that collapsed. And so we, had to, we moved to, we didn't have to, but we had moved to Nitro, West Virginia. So Nitro High School, when I, when I moved there, it is, in the, in the town of Nitro itself, is made up of, it's roughly about, <coughs> excuse me, 10%. African-American. And and the school system was about the same. That's your high school was. And me, I kind of fell in just because of some of the things I was interested in. I fell in more of the kind of the redneck crowd. It it was an interesting crowd because it was redneck slash nerd. And I don't really know how that goes together really, but it's just the way it was. You know, we, we loved to be outside. We loved to hunt. We loved to fish. But we also loved our computers and working on computers, so it was an interesting mix. But one of the things I noticed is we immediately kind of fell into that same tension. You know, being part of the the redneck crowd, there was automatically that tension between the white kids and the black kids in the school. At least the ones that I that I hung out with, and so almost just fell right back into that. So a lot of my my you know feelings from before and things that I'd experienced before kind of come back, and so falling in with them, you know. I started to use language or, or say things that to this day I would not be proud of and would never repeat. But when you're young and you're, you're around people your age and, and you, you do things that you shouldn't do. You know, I had my Confederate flag hanging up in my room and, and all, all these other things, and I look back on it and I just think about it. And But all that came to a head one time, and I don't know if Nathan remembers this or not, at a high school. You remember this? At a high school dance. Some kid said something... Yeah, yeah, we danced. You, the Nathan, uh, y'all remember that? Our preacher's sons were allowed to dance. We couldn't do it, we're, you know, <laughs> but we're not very good at it. But I forget exactly what happened, but Nathan, you know, someone said or did something to Nathan at this dance. Well, obviously, in the Green family, you, you mess with one Green, and you're going to mess with the, the, the rest of them. And so me being the brother, I stepped in and made sure I ran my mouth and let him know what I would do. Well, the next thing I know, there's probably seven or eight, maybe nine or ten, I can't remember, it's, it's been a while, black guys, and about seven or eight, nine white guys, and we're all about to go at it in the middle of this high school dance. I didn't care, I didn't mind fighting. Well, I look down to my left, and a friend of mine, well I say a friend, he, he kind of hung out with us. I wasn't real close to him. His name's Tim. He was kind of not really all there. I looked down, and he has pulled out probably about a 6- to 8-inch pocket knife. And I know that he is going, if we fight, he is going to use it in the middle of this high school cafeteria. So I immediately stop it. Say, guys we're leaving, turn around, and I made them uh, leave, and again, of course, you know, while our backs are being turned? We're called cowards, and we're called you know all kinds of stuff. And but at that point, you know, to me it was more important that we not have a bunch of people get stabbed in the middle of our high school gym or cafeteria than do that. And that was kind of. And there was still after that, there was still a lot of tension that went around that. And I still had a lot of my views that at that time would not have been. I would not consider. Still don't consider Christian views. After that. Graduated from high school, kind of went to a couple places, and then I ended up at Marshall University where, you know, studied IT. Marshall University's makeup is about 5% black. I was in IT, and at that time in IT, it was all white. And so kind of my experience then still was just the experiences I've had as a a child around the black community and and the things that I felt and the things that I experienced. After college, I went into the workforce which hopefully most of us do. And at that time, I also become or became very politically active. And everything that I was about was the ultra-conservative side. I say ultra-conservative, the conservative side. You know, I was reading all the Glenn Beck books, the Sean Hannity books, the, the Rush Limbaugh, I don't know if he posted, but I listen to him all the time, Bill O'Reilly, anything I could get my hands on. And I've watched Fox News 24-7, right? All these things kind of fell into the, the libertarian side. And, and on those same views, you know, I, I was kind of the, the white and proud, not not white and proud as in like skinhead type white and proud, but, you know, I, I was proud of my race. I was proud of who I am, and I am still am. I'm proud of my heritage. But, you know, I had the views of, well, if we're going to have a BET, then we need to have a WET, right? If we're going to have a, a Black History Month, then we need to have a White History Month, right? Those, those kind of views that maybe you get when you're young or dumb or whatever, and then I'd get on Facebook and I'd make a lot of comments that were not, I have to go back now and I have to delete most of them because they're not uh, who I am or who I've become. And, you know, a lot of them very hateful, things that should not be said, especially for everyone to see. And so as I, I, I marched through that, you know, and I kind of stuck with that for a good ten years. And again, my our experiences develop our, our viewpoints a lot of times, right? And, and what we the things we go through develop who we are. But about six years ago, I gave my first Devo, and, and I started looking at things from a different standpoint. I started researching more. I started reading more. I started trying to learn, you know, who am I supposed to really be around a lot of things? And what I noticed as I started doing this, I put down my political books, I put down watching the news all the time. I, I got away from things like that and I started studying my Bible more. And I started looking at, you know, what are who are we supposed to really be as Christians? And the more I did that, the more my perspective changed, the more my views changed, the more or the less I went to things like political books and other people, and I said, well, what does the Bible say? What does God say? And here's the one thing, and there's th- the reason I'm giving this story, because I- I'm going to go into some observation here over the last, really, couple weeks and-, and a couple months, and it reminds me a lot of who I'm trying to get away from uh, uh, and who I used to be. And so as I go through these things, I don't want anyone to be like, oh, well man, he's just getting all over us, and this, this is bad, you know, why, why is he just... More than anything, a lot of this this lesson here is for me just as much as it is probably more for me than anyone in this room. Because I want to remember what we're supposed to really be about, what we're supposed to really be doing. And here's what I learned over my study and and everything. You know, we have a lot of definitions for what Christianity is and and who we're supposed to be. But the more I study, the more I I realize Christianity is a summation of two things. Love of God and love of neighbor. If we want to define what Christianity is, this is what it is. These two things. And we see that in Matthew 28 or 22 verses 36 through 40. Teacher, what is the most important commandments in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. A second, is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. He's basically saying, everything's summed up in these two things that I just told you. This is what you're supposed to do. So that well, let me break these down a little bit. Because if we're going to talk about, you know, race relations or we're going to talk about any type of relations between humans, we need to look at these and see what this really means. So the first one's love of God. So, what is love of God? Well, we got uh, this is what I like about John. John writes about this in, in, in chapter 14. And within about four or five verses, he tells us three times exactly what love of God is. John 14, 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. Some versions say you will obey my commandments. As others say if you love me, um, you, uh, yeah, you will obey my commandments. And then in verses 21, he flips it around. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you obey my commandments and keep them, you'll love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Then verses 23 and 24, he says it again. Jesus replied, All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, And he will keep each of them home, or we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own, for I am telling you it's from the Father who sent me. So, in in several verses, he breaks it down in one chapter. If you love me, you keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, you love me. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. If you don't keep my commandments, you do not love me. Summed up in five, six verses. That one's pretty easy. right? We we get that one. So the second one. Love of neighbor. What does love of neighbor look like? I'm going to look at two sections here real quick. First one is from Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of the law, of God's law. So if you love your neighbor, then you fulfill the law of God. And then he goes into detail. As for the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commands are summed up. So he's mentioning several of the the Ten Commandments. All these are summed up into one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. So two things. Love God, you'll keep his commandments. Love neighbor, and you'll fulfill the law. Those two things, summed up. It's kind of a simple version, simple look at Christianity. But then we go into, you know, this was in Romans, but we go back to Luke, and we see an example of this kind of played out. One of the, we call lawyers, but someone who is familiar with the the law of God, they're trying to trick Jesus, or test him. It says, one day, this is Luke 10, verses 25 through 29, which is kind of where this is coming from. One day an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus his first mistake, but anyways, by asking him this question, "Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life?" And so a lot, of the, a lot of scholars believe that this question was asked after um, they had tested him before, asking him what the greatest law was, which we, we just we read a bit, a bit a little bit ago. And so Jesus asked him. What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And he replies with what he, Jesus had already said. You, <clears throat> the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, right. Jesus said, right. Do this, and you will live. Now, hey, God could have stopped right there. But This is kind of where we're at, I think, a lot of times today. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And that's the kind of the question we have, but I'm not going to look at that question this week. What I'm going to look at is the lawyer. Because I think a lot of times, especially today, we have become the lawyer. We ask the questions, or, or we think we know a lot of the answers, around what the Bible says and what we must do and those type of things. And we ask the questions, what must I do? But I, I think we've become the lawyer. I think we try to justify a lot of our actions sometimes. We do things and, and we say things and we trick ourselves. We don't trick Jesus in this sense, but we trick ourselves. Because we really kind of ask the questions sometimes, who really is my neighbor? Right. We'll We'll be real nice to our well, sometimes our our, our Christian friends, right, or or our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we can justify a little bit, maybe, being mean to people outside the church, right? Saying things to them, you know, because you know we are you know some some kind of self-righteous comments sometimes and things like that because of who we think we are sometimes, and so. We justify ourselves, and I think sometimes in the back of our minds, we say, well, that person's really not our neighbor because they're not like us, or, or they're different, or they're doing things that I don't believe in. And so here's what I've been doing. Over the last several months and weeks, I've been, I've been observing, having observation. I, I like to observe things anyways. I like to watch things, see how they work. And I've observed four things in Christianity. Yeah, you know, it's not just those, so don't get me wrong. It's not just this church. But it's in Christianity as a whole. Now, some of it does come from here. But I, I've witnessed four things over the last several months and the last several weeks that uh, we as Christians and dumb, I don't think we should see. And not, don't get me wrong, I've, we've seen positive, but the, out, the negative seems to outweigh the positive in, in a lot of these cases. The first thing we've seen is who's at fault? The blame game, right? It's the education system. They kicked God out of school, so it's their fault. It's parents' fault. Parents aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, so it's parents' fault. It's the black community's fault. If they would step up and do what they're supposed to do, then a lot of things happening in the black community wouldn't be happening. It's our politicians or the government's fault. Right? Politicians have been there for 50, 60 years. It's their fault. It's the government's fault for not doing or passing laws or allowing laws to be done. right? It's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault, it's Obama's fault, it's Trump's fault, so on and so forth, right? How about we look in the mirror? Maybe it's our fault. What would it look like if we were really doing what we are called to do? I mean, really doing? One of the examples I'll use especially with the race relations going on. How are we supposed to be the shining light to the world when the world's got race relations figured out better than we do? Sunday morning, between 8 and 11 or noon or whatever you want to say it, is the most segregated time in the United States. At this given time, 80% of churches are segregated, for the most part. Only 20%. So if we can't get that figured out, how are we as Christians going to have the moral authority to tell the world they should get this figured out? So my thought around that is, maybe we should stop passing blame and maybe start doing something about it and say, hey, you know what, maybe it's our fault because we're not doing what we're called to do. I talked about it before in in one of the last studies. We're only doing, on a a regular basis, only 2% of the church is active in the Great Commission or evangelism. The next thing I've seen a lot, hate. And I call it hate because I don't think the people who are making the comments are, are thinking... Hateful when they say it, but when you read it or when you hear it said, it's hateful. I've seen wishing death on certain people, right? And this is from Christians, not people out in the world. They deserve to die. Look at their past. Look at the things they did. That person deserved it. They were asking for it. Good thing we're not judged based on that. One less criminal on the street. And then even some was going as far as looking forward to or wishing that some of the rioters or protesters would come their way so then they could do something about it. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't have that same attitude towards us about our past? The next thing I've seen is idolization. People worshipping almost or an attitude of worship toward things like flags and monuments and property things politicians countries right and I'm not for going and tearing stuff up right obviously you know we're not and I hate seeing it you know and, and I don't want to see it but there's a difference between not wanting to see something happen versus making it your mind focus And your priority. I was thinking about this because one person called for the tearing down of Jesus' statues in, in some public arenas. And everyone just got all, went ballistic about it. And some question popped in my head. Do you think Jesus is going to be more upset about statues of what we think he looks like being torn down? Or the fact that his church is not doing what he commanded it to do? And then lastly, the fourth thing is we're getting our answers from the wrong sources. The conversations I hear, the talking points I see, people, the conversations I've been part of a lot of times, and then you watch and observe. Well, Fox News said this. CNN said this. Rush Limbaugh said this. Candace Owens said this. Ben Shapiro said this. Rachel Maddow said this. MSNBC said this. I've seen a ton of those people quoted, and the list can go on and on, it goes deeper and deeper. I've seen a ton of those people being quoted by Christians and around conversations, but I see very few of Jesus said this, or the Apostle Paul said this, or Luke said this. We're getting our answers from the wrong sources. And I think it's led to a warped version of Christianity in the world. We've made being a Christian about being a conservative or a Republican or a Democrat in some circle. We've made it about a name. We've made it about doing certain things at certain times, certain ways, except for the way they did evangelism. We made it about being in church three times a week, and as long as you do that, then you're good. But Luke talks about that a little bit. I mean, sorry, John. In 1 John 2.9, If anyone claims I am the light but hates a fellow believer, the person is still living in darkness. And this can be about anything. It could be around your political affiliation. It could be around the color of their skin. It could be around anything. Further on in 1 John, he says in verse, chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, If we love our brothers and sisters, who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life, but a person who has no love is still death. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart, and you know the murderers do not have eternal life within them. So just because we're, oh, let me let me put it this way. We're, so we're to love our brothers and sisters. And he's talking about a thing. We're to love everyone, whether it's, right, right. Yeah, yeah. In this particular, he's talking about relationships between brothers and sisters at that time. Oh yeah yeah Somebody. yeah no, no, yeah, no, yeah, and they think we may ju- they may they think we may justify that because well, it says you can you don't have to hate it says not to hate your brothers and sisters, but you know, okay, we can hate the people outside the church, right yeah, right, right. 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 so no, no, definitely, no justification so, around that, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. So, a good question. Here, here's kind of been my thought around this, and, and one of the things, and someone quoted this to me in a conversation I was having. Basically, if you're a Christian, or claim to be a Christian, and you hate someone, or think someone's lesser than you, for whatever reason... You are no longer a Christian. You're just someone who's sitting in a church. And I thought that was a really good point. And I, and I think it's something we need to pay close attention to because there's a lot of things that by, that God talks about and Jesus talks about, but hate or lack of love is really the first thing that just kind of disqualifies you from from being a Christian. Yeah. I think if they read the whole Bible, by the time they got to First John, they would have seen the. <laughs> so, they will. People will. Yep. They could twist it. They could, and that's where we just show them the rest of the Bible. Exactly. If you, yes. Yeah. If you hate and I, I would put hate of your brother and sister, but I think if and, and I think and'm I don't think I'm adding to the Bible when I say this, if you hate anyone, then that's going to jeopardize your you in, in and that's very important. So here's an, another observation I've gotten and maybe this is maybe I'm biased here. oh, go ahead. Oh, good points. So the observation, another observation, and again, I, I may be biased when it comes to this observation. The younger generation really gets it. As much as we harp on the millennials and the generation Zs and the Ys and X, Y, Z, we may be, be starting over at A again. As much as we harp on them for things, I get—I experience a lot of you know, that back row back there. I, I spend a lot of time with those kids. And I see a lot of their conversations and I hear a lot of their conversations and they get it. And I'm going to read something. And it's long and I think i got enough time. Some of you may have seen it, but Kylie wrote it. And it was really good. And none of us told her to write it or helped her write it. I, I was really proud. But anyways, I think it gets to the point of A lot of what my message here is today. I hope y'all can read this. I I tried to put it in here. I can barely read it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But when there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And that's 1 Corinthians 4-8. through She goes on. In the Bible, Paul writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-8. Paul explains to them how Christians are supposed to love what it is not and how God wants us to love. As many of you know, I try my hardest to spread love and kindness and advocate for everyone to always show these things. These are also important attributes God wants us to have towards every person. Every person. Let me say that again. God wants everybody to express love and kindness to every person. Every, after hearing and seeing things involved in the George Floyd case, I was tempted to log off of all social media for a while because of the fighting and negativity around the devastating tragedy. Then I realized how inconsistent and cowardice I was, was being. A poor African-American man died at the young age of 46 because a white police officer abused his power by placing George Floyd's face against the rough pavement and held him down by forcing his knee into a man's throat, and I can't handle the negativity. This is when I realized how much privilege I have. I don't have to worry if my family will be threatened or killed or assaulted because of the color of their skin. I haven't been denied any opportunity or choice solely because of my race. I haven't had any type of comments or hateful language said towards me just because of the color of my skin. George Floyd pleaded and begged, with the officer by saying, please, I can't breathe, my stomach hurts, my neck hurts, everything hurts, they're going to kill me. What if that was your dad, husband, grandfather, cousin, uncle, best friend, or even you? Is it time, it is time for every single person to look at the person in the mirror and examine ourselves and actions. It is time for Christianity to be the safe place for every uh, type of person. We need to stop fighting with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to stop dividing our church and start uniting. How can a broken Christianhood try and repair others who need it? We complain how people of the world act like the world, yet sometimes we continue to judge instead of fixing it. We cannot keep judging others and pushing aside the problems that others have just because we haven't personally experienced them. We need compassionate hearts. We need empathy. We need to comfort those hurting we need to be the light. It may be easier to ignore problems and to act like they don't exist, but that is not our job as Christians. In Acts 10, God tells Cornelius to go eat with Peter, even though the, that was highly frowned upon because Gentiles and Jews did not mix. Of course, until God brought them together and showed the importance of loving one another and how racism is wrong. In Galatians 3:28, it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. God does not see color, gender, income, etc. God sees a soul. God wants everyone to go to heaven, so why do we not do this for him? God creates every single soul in his own image so no verse or belief can excuse hatred of any kind. Jesus ate with the poor, tax collectors, people of every kind that were looked down upon. We are allowed to love people even if they don't have the same beliefs as us. It is what God wants. If you only convert those similar to you, then eventually you'll run out of people to convert. We need to stop our judgment and our pointless arguing about those of Christ with those of Christ and those who aren't. We will not create a better world unless we decide and work for the change. We won't stop racism, violence, hatred, etc. if we don't try and put ourselves in the shoes, in other shoes, and give love. As Christians, it's time to stop letting personal, political, unbiblical views get in the way of getting future souls into heaven. Let's stop stunting the growth of the world we want by not showing love, compassion, empathy, etc. to those who need it purely because of small and meaningless things. So let us all as humans and souls created by God, no matter your affiliation, take a look in the mirror, put ourselves in other's shoes, Start acknowledging the harsh realities that others face. Push aside our judgments and political personal views and start loving every single soul on this earth and work towards creating a wonderful world full of peace and love. By bringing God back into this world, we will create the world we need and bring more souls to Christ. I really hope that everyone who reads this opens their hearts and with an open mind. The next step to a better future, is you. They get it. She gets it. So with all that, my question is, is, is God enough? If it was what God says, enough. Or do we have to go to other sources or what other people say? Now, I'm, with all this said, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be interested in politics. All right? I'm not saying we shouldn't get involved in some of those things. What I'm saying is, are those the things that we go to first and foremost, or is it Bible and God that we go to first and foremost? And my observation lately, and my personal experience of how I put myself into a lot of those same shoes because I, I I used to be, and I'm trying to get away from being that same person who goes to things besides God first for a lot of the answers in the world. So I want you to think about that. You know, the next time you you have a conversation around politics or a certain sin or a certain thing, it's like well, what does God say? well, what does God want me to do here? Not, what does a commentator on some news network say, right? Or what did this person say and make a really good point about something? Sometimes people can make really good points. They may not be biblical points. And what God says to do. And here's my challenge for next week. And I've been doing this and I'm going to continue to do it. Because next week, it's going to be more of a conversation type. Look at feel of things, I believe. Have a conversation. And when I say have a conversation, I mean really have a conversation. Sit down with someone. In my case, I, I, I've been sitting down with people who are, are black, who are African American, right? Right? And I'm just asking them questions because the one thing as a white man is I have no idea what it is like to be black. No clue. I can go by what commentators and people and books and others say, but if you really want to know, go to the source. Sit down, have conversations. And I'm not talking about 15-minute conversations. I'm talking about spend this entire week, take the time, you have it, to sit down and, and really ask them, you know, what, what is all this about? How do you really feel? You don't even need to give them your opinion. Just listen. And I guarantee you, at least I hope, because it did me the more conversations I've had, You, it'll, it'll change your viewpoint sometimes on some things. Go ahead. Yes, well, they have been with Christians. I, I will make that. That's a, that's a good point. They have been with black Christians that I, that I know. I'm sorry, Christians who are black. Um, because the, I think it's important to, to have those conversations in the church. We're, we're never going to solve anything if we don't sit down and talk. With our brothers and sisters in churches up in an, on, in Vadasta, who are uh, the exact opposite. exact opposite. You know, we have our white churches for the most part down here and other places, and we have our black churches. And so, have those conversations. I mean, really have those conversations, and see if maybe your viewpoint changes. Go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. And again, the flip side of this, right? I'm not saying, and don't get this, right? I'm not saying this is a white problem, right? Because on the opposite side, you have problems. And if you have these conversations, you'll see this. There's issues from the black side of this as well towards us. But none of this is going to be healed until we sit down and have the conversations that we need to have and talk about these things. And ask them, you know, why do you feel this way? What experiences have you had? What would you like me to know? You don't have to give your opinion again. Just have those conversations. I, I, and I, I stress that. I really do. Because I'll, I'll be honest, having those conversations has changed the way I see a lot of things. It really does. And it makes you realize that what the new, what the news media puts out there, and the way they twist everything to the to the right or to the left as far as they can go, is pretty much not the case, in all reality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's my lesson for today. I, I hope it makes you think. I, it's made me think a lot over the last couple of weeks. And again, have those again have those conversations, and we're going to look at those conversations next week. Thank you.